For our scripture this morning, please turn with me to chapter 8 of Matthew. We'll read verses 5 to 13. Your pastor has better eyesight than I do. He's taller than me, and he can see down here. I, uh, I need to this, make this little makeshift thing to bring it a little bit closer. I hope I don't knock it off. If I do, bear with me. The Sermon on the Mount is done. Um, Matthew has recorded that. And now we have this uh, happening in Capernaum, Matthew 8, 5. When he entered Capernaum, that is Jesus, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. He said to him, Jesus said to the centurion, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. To the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Matthew has recorded the Sermon on the Mount, and now he relates various miracles that Jesus had done. You know, there is a temptation to see Jesus as just a moral teacher. I heard one time uh, at a meeting the Bible distribution promoted and encouraged people to give for Bible distribution because it elevated people's morals and it elevated their economic status. Well, I don't doubt that if someone followed scriptural principles of not stealing and lying and cheating and hard work that their station in life would be elevated. But we cannot separate the gospel from Jesus' person and work. Now we have a remarkable story before us in all its facets. A centurion is brought to Jesus. Who, boys and girls, who did the centurion represent? He was Roman. Who were the Romans? An invading empire. They had invaded Palestine, were occupying Palestine. They were the enemy. The Jews didn't like being subservient, paying taxes, and having soldiers stationed throughout their country. However, it appears 
that God had been working in the life of this centurion. He is an official. He is over other soldiers. Luke tells us in the parallel passage that he had financed the building of a synagogue, a church. Possibly he had become concerned for the state of his soul for eternity. He had taken an interest in the scriptures because in the synagogue the scriptures were read every Lord's Day. This centurion had begun to identify with God's people. And in the Luke passage, the Jews bring him to Jesus and they tell Jesus, he is worthy that you help him. Now I want you to remember that little phrase. He is worthy that you help him. Now there's a bit of irony in the whole uh, passage. Um, The Jews, not all of whom ended up following Jesus or even believing in Jesus, the Jews bring to Jesus recognizing that Jesus uh, had the power to heal, had God's power to heal, and the Jews bring a Roman, an uncircumcised Roman to Jesus for Jesus to help him. So there's a bit of irony in the whole setup of this passage. Now, let's look at the heart of this story. And the heart of the story, what Matthew brings out, is how the centurion evidences true faith. What we have here is a description of true faith. Matthew brings out what is the character of true faith. The centurion understands and believes in the authority of Jesus. Verse 8, you know, he says, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Just say the word. I understand authority, and I believe you have that authority. Now, we, we need to ask ourselves, why are there so many details in this, in this passage? Because Matthew could have said, one day they brought a centurion to Jesus, and Jesus healed his servant. That, that would summarize everything. But Matthew goes through minute details. And it's because we have here summarized Jesus' mission, bringing those to true faith. And so, first of all, we have the centurion affirming the authority of Jesus the authority of Jesus. Now the authority of Christ's word is under attack. It has always been under attack from the world. But the authority of Christ's word comes under attack from within the church as well. I think we're all aware of the growing subjectivism and individualism that our societies your society, ours in Costa Rica, has experienced. If we don't approve something of ourselves, then we feel free to reject it. We make ourselves the final criteria and the final authority. The weakest members in our church in Costa Rica are those who have the right or feel they have the right to judge everything by their own criteria. 
Our strongest members are those who accept Christ's word and humbly ask for the strength to follow it. You see, Matthew brings out the fact that true faith rests on an absolute confidence in Christ's authority. And do you know what? The church's mission demands that we embrace and rest upon the absolute confidence in Christ's authority. We need to recognize Christ's authority when he says, disciple the nations or we won't obey. The centurion recognizes something else. He recognizes Christ's authority, but he recognizes that before this person, he recognizes his own unworthiness. Remember that in the Luke passage, the Jews said he's worthy. But in verse 8, the centurion says, I'm not worthy for you to go. Please don't come. It's sort of amazing, you know. The centurion understands his own unworthiness and he won't allow Jesus to go to his house. He maybe understood the division between Jews and Gentiles. He's an uncircumcised, pork-eating Roman. <laughs> you know, our Heidelberg Catechism says, what's necessary, what, what, what things are necessary for us to enjoy this comfort in the second question. And it says we must realize how great is our sin and our misery. People of God, our mission is not Christ's mission if we don't help people see their sin and misery apart from Christ. That's why Matthew takes the time to, to spell out the words that the centurion said as he came into Christ's presence. Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Now thirdly, the centurion understands that life and death are in Jesus' power. He says, say the word and I know my servant could be healed. Now, this is amazing. Um, as far as we don't, as far as we know, the centurion had never seen Jesus before this. Um, and yet he believes that Jesus has power over life and death. This is incredible. We're reminded of Peter's declaration in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we might be saved. The centurion recognizes Jesus' authority and people of God. This is so important. This is why this, is why this passage encapsulates all the, 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 the elements of our mission. We can take people with confidence to Jesus. He has the authority and he has the power. We don't have to be ashamed ever. To help someone come to Jesus Christ. Fourthly, the centurion understands that Christ's word alone has sufficient power to heal. 
Now, we cannot know the extent of the centurion's faith. How much he understood that Jesus was the Messiah, we don't know. But the centurion in his own, in his own meager way believed God. And he certainly understood that, that, that this Jesus was sent by God. And that this Jesus had God's power to heal. What a tremendous surprise to hear his confession of faith in the power of Jesus. And we read, Jesus marveled. Jesus marveled at his... How do you think the disciples... You know, Matthew uh, may have been present here. How do you think the disciples knew that Jesus marveled? You know, sometimes the Gospels say um, Jesus was uh, saddened when he saw the, the multitudes like a sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus was saddened. How did they know? Jesus gave visible manifestations of his sadness at the multitudes of sheep without a shepherd. Maybe there was a knot in his throat. Maybe he wept. And he gave some sort of visible sign here that they knew he was marveling. I mean, did Jesus say, wow, I don't know. But he marveled. And they knew he was marveling at his faith. John Calvin says there's two reasons why Jesus lifts the centurion's faith up as an example. Firstly, with relatively little understanding, his faith gave great fruit. His testimony was immediate. His confidence was abundant. He affirmed publicly his confidence in Jesus. You know what? Every single person in this room knows more about Jesus than that centurion knew. We've seen the rest of the story. This centurion with a whole lot less knowledge than all of us gave great fruit and immediate testimony, abundant confidence and testified publicly. Secondly, Calvin says, while the Jews sought signs, the centurion doesn't ask for any sign. In fact, he asked for Jesus not to give a sign. He says, just say the word. I believe. Don't go, don't lay hands on, don't shake your head over things and, 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 and make a scene like so many today. The centurion says, just say the word. I believe. Sensationalism has destroyed so much of Christianity in our times. All the sensationalists follow the Jews whom Jesus denounced. They don't follow the true believers like the centurion who trusted and the power and the authority, that's it, of Jesus. You know, we need to ask, how would our own life change if our faith was more like the centurion? 
And how would our sense of mission in this world change? What if we really trusted the power of Christ's word to forgive? You know, there are a lot of people outside the church. And there are a lot of people inside the church burdened with a sense of guilt that they cannot shake. And that sense of guilt and shame about things they've done and said impedes them from joyful service to the Lord. What if we truly believed and embraced the power of Christ's word to forgive? The opposite side is legalism. Legalism impedes just as much as carrying a sense of guilt. Legalism may be worse. We subject people to our standard and don't believe in God's forgiveness. What if we really trusted the power of Christ's word to transform? Now, I don't want to speak badly about counselors, therapists, but you know, we have removed the spiritual aspect of what we call psychological problems. We've removed the spiritual aspect. And our society in general, and much a great part of the church, has made that division that many problems are emotional problems, they're psychological and they can be, they can be somehow resolved apart from the spiritual relationship we have with God and the, the relationship, the duty we have, I'm thinking in Spanish, sorry, that we have with our neighbor. What if we believed what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, behold, all has become new. What if we believed in Christ's power to truly comfort us? How many people do not fulfill their calling in their marriage, in their home, in their work, in their church? Because they lack the comfort that God promises. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. What if we believed Christ's power and authority to counsel, to counsel others? We so easily send them off to someone else. God has said, Paul says in Romans, I'm confident that you are qualified to counsel one another. And so we could go on. People of God, our trust and confidence in Christ, in his word, the power and authority of his word is crucial for ourselves and for our mission. Now we have the joint privilege, this congregation and us in Costa Rica, we have the joint privilege to promote this 
gospel in Costa Rica. And that is a privilege that we have. And I want to just say right now, thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your continued financial support all these years. Thank you for having received our senior class. Because Jesus has in mind the consequence for missions when this centurion comes to him. And let's talk about that just a minute. Because missions, as Jesus sees it, which is the title of this message, all that will matter is faith in the authority and the power of Jesus. And Jesus teaches us that just as an uncircumcised Gentile could receive his blessing, so many others also outside the church. Verses 11 and 12. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You see, faith in Christ is the only requisite to enter the kingdom. And with this one verse, Jesus, of course, smashes to the Jews of his day and for the rest of history, he smashes all prejudices based on race, social status, ethnicity, what have you. Let this be a warning to the church today that the only stumbling block is the cross of Jesus Christ. We may not place any other barriers. Now the Jews had unwittingly brought an uncircumcised Gentile to Jesus, but Jesus drives home the lesson they did well. There's a severe warning to the church in verse 12. The sons of this kingdom, the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They will be thrown out. Why? He's talking about the sons of the kingdom of heaven, the Jews, the people of Israel, thrown out. Were they not born into the covenant? Jesus teaches that their lack of faith disqualifies them. And the verb that Jesus uses is very strong. Ekbalo. They will be cast out. They will be thrown out because they are covenant breakers. And Jesus gives a vivid, a terrible description of hell. You know, in, in my work as pastor, uh, I need to confront people often with eternal realities. And the Bible describes hell on many occasions. And we need to, if nobody likes to talk about it, I don't like to talk about it. But, you know, we need to tell people the Bible says hell will be dark. Dark. Darkness. You'll bump into people. You'll be able to see them. There will be howling, weeping, grinding of teeth because of pain and regret and remorse. It, this is, it's a terrible description. 
And why will there be weeping? Why will there be eternal regret? Now, I could be corrected, and maybe we need to do a deeper study, but the passages that I have found in the New Testament of weeping and gnashing of teeth are all those who were in the covenant. But they didn't believe. And throughout eternity they will weep because of eternal regret. I knew the truth. I knew the truth. People of God, Jesus is not playing at religion. And neither should we. As Jesus gives testimony to the sincere faith of this Gentile, his tone turns very serious and very urgent. Eternal destinies are at stake. Everything has to do with what we do with Jesus of Nazareth. How does Jesus see missions? How does he see his mission to you and to me? How does Jesus see his mission through us to this world? Firstly, we've seen it's a mission which brings us to recognize our own personal unworthiness. That has to be part of our message. In a world that doesn't like that, in a world that's told day and night you have potential within you for your own salvation, we need to make clear we are not worthy. We'll leave it at that. I know we all understand what we're talking about. Secondly, this passage teaches us that Jesus' mission is a mission which brings us to recognize and confess Christ's authority, the authority of Christ's word. Our world doesn't like that, and even sometimes we rebel against this. We want to make ourselves the final authority, authority but we aren't. It is Christ's word which is the final authority. And thirdly, it is a mission which brings us to recognize and confess the power of Christ's word as well. The authority and the power of Christ's word. Praise the Lord, we have a Savior like this. Praise the Lord, his word has these attributes. It is authoritative, it's right, it's true, and it's powerful. And so two things as we close. First of all, would Jesus marvel at your faith today? We don't like to say that, do we? We don't like that question very much. The Bible says Jesus marveled at the centurion's faith. What if we made it a goal? We made it a goal to please our Lord. Okay, don't say we're going to try to make Jesus marvel. All right. Let's put it in other words. Make it a goal to please and to honor our Lord. Honoring the authority of his word. Being bearers of the power of a powerful word. That's the first question. The second, the second 
thing in concluding. Our mission must have the clarity and the urgency that Matthew brings out in this passage. The clarity and the urgency of which Jesus himself speaks. Jesus' authority, the power of Christ's word, are the foundation of our mission. Clarity and urgency. And so, dear friend in Christ, let us bring people with confidence to Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, dear Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, triune God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this reminder that your word indeed, that creative word from the beginning of time that brought into existence the universe is the same powerful, redeeming, creative word that we bear in our hands and in our mouths. Father, permit this church to be that herald and permit all the mission endeavors supported by this congregation with that same urgency and clarity and conviction and confidence in your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.